Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. We hope today's message encourages you, but before we get to that, we want to remind you, if you want to get connected to what God is doing here at our campus, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find links to our social media platforms, and a lot more. Just text Cersei to 88000 or visit newlifechurch.tv. Now get your Bible and note apps ready to go and prepare to hear a great message today. How many of you guys glad to be in church today? Amen? Yeah, me too. So glad. I want to, for the first time, we, I, I want us to put our hands together and welcome those that are watching us online. Can we do that? Yeah. We are uh, doing a test run today. So we got four or five families that are critiquing us very, very significantly uh, on today's service just to make sure we got audio and video going right. So many people are still at home. We honor them in that, and we want to just continue to draw them into our church. And so this is all new to us, and so um, we want to make sure that everything is okay. And hopefully next week at 11 will be our first um, live online service for the 11 o'clock. So thank you guys for being here on a gorgeous weekend. You look good. You look rested, and I think that's a good thing. So turn to somebody beside you and say, you look amazing, okay? And you smell good, too. Tell them that. I want to uh, recap with you for uh, the past uh, several weeks. We're in a four-part series on the book of Mark called You're Not Far. And um, if you haven't been with us, I just want to tell you what that looks like. And because this may, may be your first uh, week to be with us, and so I want to just kind of give you a glimpse um, of what we've been talking about. And the first week we talked about what was the real message of Christ, that um, he didn't come with the, uh, what we have perceived as a, you know, a fire and brimstone message, uh, but he came talking about the time has come, okay, and the kingdom is near. And since I am near to you, you're not far, all right? And that's kind of been the anchoring point of this whole series the second week, we talked about three things that Jesus brought. He brought um, that he, he was going to ignore religious protocol. He had the authority to forgive sin, and he was uncomfortably comfortable with being with sinners. And we, we discussed what that lo- looked like for us. And then last week, we talked about how religiosity can suck you into a game of rules and behavioral conformity and that we can build an entire relationship with God based upon what we think are the things we're doing wrong. And so it's really uh, can be a distraction. And so I think if there's one thing to come out of, of this message is to come back to the simplicity of following Jesus and what that means for us. So you take, uh, you have to throw out a lot of preconceived ideas and come back to the simple thought of, I just want to be a follower, okay? I just want my life to be in alignment with him, and that's it. And so uh, we've brought up Mark chapter 115. I'm going to read it to you again. This is, again, has been our anchoring scripture. But Jesus shows up, and he says, the time has come, which means everything before me has been a hint, 
Everything before me has been just a, a snapshot of something, but the time has come right now. And he says, the kingdom of God has come near, which means you and I were not far. And he says, repent, which we talked about can have a couple of definitions there. But the one that we kind of leaned into was him saying, change your mind, change your direction, and come with me. Okay? So he says, repent and believe the good news. And we talked about how a lot of times in the postmodern church, we've almost forfeited good news, what it means to follow him, and we've replaced it with religious rules and things that we've made sacred that uh, don't have any sacredness to them. So we've just kind of made it up to appeal to our own comfortability. So we talked about that. So what I want to do today is I want to build out this big scene, and this is going to be the end of this series. Christ is going to uh, reveal to them the full plan of, of what he, he has to do here. He's even going to use the word must. I must do this. And I want to build this big scene and then get down into one specific point, okay? And so give me just a few minutes to build this out, and then I'm going to take you where I'm going, and I'll tell you when we get there in case you miss it, okay? But at this point in our series, the disciples, along with a very large crowd, have moved out of the Galilean region around these little fishing communities, and they've headed north to Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus kind of pauses with what's happened. Okay, now keep in mind there's been a lot of miracles, a lot of teaching. There is a lot of commotion around him. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of talking. Um, there's a lot going on, okay? The Pharisees have plotted to kill him. He knows it. He's told them about it. So this situation is loaded with energy, and he takes a moment and he pauses and he basically asks this question, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying? So they, they hop in and they say, well, some people say you're this person and some people say you're that person, but it was all a setup. And he aims it back to them and he asks them this question, who do you say that I am? Now this was a moment that he had a lot of hope, I think, because what he's wanting to know is, have you been listening, and more importantly, have you been growing? So all this time that we've been together, have the words that I've said to you and the revelation I've given to you, has it taken root and produced any fruit in your life? Who do you say that I am? Okay. So Peter, what probably the most famous apostle, he jumps up and says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is the first time that Jesus just receives this title. He takes it from him. And they make their way from that moment back down south, past Capernaum, past the Sea of Galilee, into the River Valley, the Jordan River Valley. And they're making their way to Jerusalem for the crucifixion. So as they are journeying, they're making their way, Jesus begins to expose and reveal to them what's going to happen. And so this is where we pick up in Mark chapter 8 today, and he says this in verse 31. He, being Jesus, then began to teach them 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of law, and that he must be killed. Okay, so that, that word for me means that this was part of the plan. And if that does not happen, it forfeits the plan. He must be killed and he must be raised again. Okay, so these two things are in tandem. There has to be a crucifixion and there has to be a resurrection. And so he's telling them this must take place. Now this gets very confusing to them, okay? Here's why. Because they are all in. They've left their careers, they've left families and friendships and communities that they are deeply entrenched in, and they have followed him on this journey of changing people's lives, and now he's telling them it's going to be just a very short time and I'm out. They're, they're going to kill me, and this must be done. And you guys have to accept this. And they're like, hang, hang on a second. What happened to the, the time has come, and the kingdom is near, and you're the Messiah, and Messiahs don't get killed? All right? So he's talking out these four points to them, or they, they are talking back with, wait a second. We believe this good news. That now is the time. That the kingdom is near and we're not far. And you're the Savior and saviors don't get killed. And also in their culture, good things or bad things don't happen to good people. And you're the goodest person we know. So it, it can't happen. So watch what happens. I love Mark because he's writing Peter's account. And I, I think Peter is, is a country boy. I do. I think he he's he's country minded. I mean, my my favorite scene is when they in just a few chapters they're gonna come to get him, and he just takes an ear off this guy. He's like, I don't think this is gonna happen. Pulls out his switchblade and takes this guy's ear off. And the funny part is, Jesus is like, Peter, come on, man. He reaches down and puts it back on. Do you, do you know that that's the last miracle? Did you guys know that? That's the last miracle. It, you know, it wasn't raising the, the dead or opening the eyes, putting an ear on. I'm serious. That was the last thing. Way to go, Peter. You messed it all up. So watch this. Mark 8 and verse 32 it says, Peter takes him aside, okay? The Messiah. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him, okay? Basically, he says, Jesus, you're scaring the children. You, you, can't, you can't be saying that, that you're out, Okay, you can't, you can't call us away from career and family and community and lead us on this journey that's loaded with gossip and energy and then tell us that you're going to succumb to their plan to do away with you. And he gets on to him. And so, verse 33, it says, But when Jesus turns, so he's talking with Peter and he turns and he looks at his disciples because he's hearing what Peter is saying. And he glances over at him and looks at him. And he looks back at Peter and rebukes him. Now imagine how strong this is when he says, Get behind me, Satan. Okay? That's strong. And he says, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now this 
statement is a series in and all of itself. That we do not have God's concern in mind, but our human concerns are in the way. And this is how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this message with this later. Not right now. You're not that, that lucky. But later on, okay, everybody bow your head. Let's, let's end. That was good. But human concerns. Now, Jesus wants everyone to understand that even though they want an earthly kingdom, he is not here to overthrow Rome. His kingdom is not that kind of kingdom. And this has been very hard for them because this is what they want. They want him to come in, set up an earthly kingdom, change Rome, rally the Jewish people, set up a kingdom, have a tabernacle, wear a crown, have power, make decisions, change the world right there in their lifetime and completely change the course of history physically. And Jesus is saying, that's not the kingdom I have. I've told you before, I have a kingdom that establishes itself in the heart of man. That's where my throne is. To see, I'm seated on the throne of, of the emotional construct and the spiritual construct of people. And they don't, they don't want to open their minds to that. So in the very next verse, because he's concerned about it, and he decides to address it. In verse 34, if you're following, it says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples. And he's basically like, listen, everybody just sit down, because this is troubling to me. So I've told you what I have to accomplish, and now I'm getting rebuked by my disciples. You guys are thinking through your own minds and not through the, the heart of God. And so let me tell you this big, big thing. And I, I believe in my mind, he waits for everybody to get settled and still, and then he says to them this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To deny themselves. He's speaking right to Peter, right to his disciples. You've got to deny yourself if you want in this. You've got to learn to discern between flesh and spirit, what your mind wants, what your flesh wants, and you've got to be able to shut that down and deny yourself. We go on later, the apostles would write and call it self-control. That there are parts in me that I've got to constantly silence and rebuke and shove away. And I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. Now, I think you could have heard a pin drop because his point is this. If you're going to follow me from now on, it's going to cost you something. I know it's been great. I know it's been exciting. I know in a way you guys are celebrities. I know you've seen a lot of great things. I know that I have revealed heaven to you. You know more about the Father than anybody else in the world because of me, because I have shown that to you. I have revealed the Father's love to you and His plan for you. I have, I have taught you about the characteristics of the Father. But it's going to now cost you something. 
the cheering is going to end. The signing of autographs is over. It's going to cost you something to follow me, and I want you to know that. This is him, him saying this. Now listen, for you and I, take up your cross is symbolic. For us now in the postmodern world, take up your cross means a tattoo. It means something that we wear as a piece of jewelry. It means a Christian t-shirt. That's what we've turned it into. But for this original audience, this was heavy on them. Why? Because they had seen crucifixion. They may have seen a close friend or family member crucified, or a neighbor, or a leader. They had seen the aftermath and smelt the stench of a crucifixion. So when he says, take up your cross, I believe it was quiet. What do you, what do you mean? You said, you said the kingdom was near. You said that this was going to be good news. You said to repent and believe, and we did it. And now you're trying to tell us that this thing is about to go crumbling down. Jesus continues in verse 35. He says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Okay? And let me ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you want to save your life? Okay, just lift it up. Okay, the rest of you are either asleep or you need some counseling right now. I think 100% of us would say, I want to save myself. It's in us, innately built in to spare ourselves. Okay, so this is a fancy way of him saying, every one of you is going to die. It's going to happen. I mean, whoever wants to save your life, guess what? You're still going to lose it. This is what what he's saying. The paraphrase here would, would be this. No matter how much you take care of yourself, no matter your genetics, no matter how youthful or resilient death happens to all, you will lose your life. It's going to happen. But then here comes the invitation. Verse 35, he says, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, good news, will save it. And again, he's not talking about the physical world. He's saying, listen, you can have a life in me. If you lose it to me, if you take all those things that you're thinking about and you dedicate them to me, if you take your marriage and you put it in me, if you take your career and you put it in me, if you take your life's energy and you put it in me, you will save it. I believe In that moment with his disciples, all the way to this service this morning, the invitation remains to live and lose our life with purpose. That there is something to us that's more than just a molecular makeup. There is something to us that has purpose because we have, with great effort, placed our lives into the center of God's care and said, do with me whatever you want. I will take up my cross and follow you. So Peter and the gang, again, have a choice to make. Do we go back to Galilee? Spend our lives as fishermen. 
and carry on the heritage that our fathers gave us? Or do we live on purpose? Do we continue? This is how big of a pill this was to swallow. I mean, Lord, we're, we're, we're just three years into this, and, and you're saying it's over. They, they could not differentiate between their feelings of a kingdom coming and the tsunami of change that would come behind the cross. Every one of us end up somewhere, but it's the intentional ones that end up somewhere on purpose. Here's where we look intently at ourselves today. Because our biggest temptation in life is self-preservation. This is why these guys were, were conflicted, because this is not, not what they wanted. This is why there's tension in this scene. This is not what they wanted. And we do the exact same thing every day, a million times in a year. We make decisions based off of self-preservation. I'm going to make this decision because this decision doesn't hurt me. I'm going to make this decision because it's best for my family. I'm going to make this decision because it's best for me and my career. I'm going to make this decision because it's best for me emotionally. These are constant things, and we don't say it like that out loud to ourselves, but it's a, it's, it's a filter that we apply to everything. It's self-preservation. How can I get to the end of this in the best condition possible? It's in us. Listen, when the story of COVID-19 is just a story that we tell, when it's no longer mask wearing and six feet apart, some of you are in violation of that, by the way. I'm just kidding. Maybe a year from now, two years from now, five years from now when we just tell stories. Let's make sure our story of this season is worth telling. Brene Brown makes this quote, and I just love it. She says, one day you'll tell your story of how you overcame something, and it will be someone else's survival guide. Here's a big truth. You're going to tell your kids and your grandkids about this season of your life, and what are you going to tell them? Okay? Now listen, pay attention because this is about to get good, and then I'm going to, I'm going to put the landing gear down. In Mark chapter 10, this is so good. You guys stay with me because you're going to see humanity at its best and worst right here in the same, in the same text. Mark 10, 32 through 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. This is, this is important. With Jesus leading the way. Keep this in mind. So Jesus is ahead of them. It's almost like a, a nervous anticipation like, I'm ready for the cross. I'm ready to get this thing going. I've, I've come to the end. I'm ready to get there. I'm ready to see the events unfold. I'm ready to, to finish what we have started. He's leading the way, disciples in tow, and a crowd behind that. And he takes the 12 aside and he tells them again what's going to happen to him. Verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so this is the second time that he's telling them this. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of law, they will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Now watch this, okay? 
you got to get this in, in your mind or you'll, you'll miss it. Jesus is leading the way, disciples and crowd in tow. He has told them this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they come to him. Okay, so it's almost like they're having a little conversation. And they said, let's go talk to him while he's up there by himself. Let's, let's, let's go up there. And they run up there. And they said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Is it not strange to anybody? Can you imagine? This is, this is a, that's a sermon right there. Because this is us, right? Lord, this is what I, I need. Okay, when, when, when we pray, God, what, what I really need is that Gucci purse I've been wanting. You, you know, you know I deserve it because I've been good. It's like Santa Claus. It's not just give me whatever we want. And they're asking him this, do for us whatever we ask. And he, I think in my mind, he just tolerates it and he's like, what do you want me to do? And he says, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Okay, now if you're not tracking very well, let me tell you what in your glory means. When you're dead. Can you believe that? Hey, Jesus, I know you've been talking about, you know, flogging and spitting and killing and thanks for all that. But listen, when you die, can you hook us up with some positions of authority? We'd like to be over some people. Get some perks, maybe. This is what, they, this is what their takeaway was. Do for us whatever we ask. Put one of us on the left and one of us on, on your right Here's, here's the big point today, okay? The big point, the first one I want to make. Watch your thoughts because they will become words. So what they were thinking and they thought it over and over and over again, one day we're going to get him by himself and we're going to ask him, can he promote us? Can he put, You see what I'm saying? They're still thinking in this human concern. I want to get out of this what I want to get out of it. I mean, I've left my career. I've left family. I've left a community. I have been on this journey. I've been faithful to you. Can you just, I deserve this. I deserve a position. I deserve something where I'm overseeing people. I mean, put me in this kingdom. I want, I want to have a role here. And out, out it came, these thoughts. And watch this, the, uh, six verses later. When the other ten heard about this, they became, I love this word, indignant. Okay? Angry, frustrated with James and John. How dare you go to him? He was just talking about dying, giving his life, flogged, spat upon, crucified. You remember a crucifixion. You remember what it's he's talking about. And you're going to run up there and ask him if you can sit on his right hand after he dies? And suddenly there's an argument about who's getting two cookies and who's getting one, and they all want positions of authority once he's dead. Humanity at its worst. So Mark 10, 42, Jesus calls them all together again. 
And he gives them this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, what he's saying is this. Again, this is a paraphrase. He's saying to them, you know how the world works. And people with authority have a tendency to to rule and lord and put pressure on those underneath them. Those in positions of authority can often leverage it for their own benefit. And here are the four words that mean the most out of today's message is this. Jesus looks at them after reminding them of how the world works and how power works and how resources work and how positions work. And he says to them in verse 43, not so with you. This is the first challenge to what now we would call sanctification. Become like Christ. Let go of the desire to have rule and authority and privilege and resource and anything else that you can leverage. And he says, this is not going to happen with you. Not so with you. I haven't poured into you and give, I'm not going to give my life so that you can have what you want. I'm giving my life as a model so that you will know that it's the greatest act of love that can ever be done is that a man would lay down his life for his friends and that you would spend the rest of your life modeling that for another generation and another generation and another generation and somewhere we've lost it. And here we are in a very cruel world. Where love is something of convenience, it is less sacrificial, and it's all, I will love you as long as it's convenient for me. As long as you're providing a need that is met within me, then I'm going to love you. It's our kingdom trying to be set up rather than living out the kingdom that God brought that said is near. So then he he goes on, I'm closing just a minute, Mark 10, 43, if you're watching or following, he says, instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in my mind, I think he says, any questions, let's go to Jerusalem, and he drops the mic, and he walks off. And while they're on their way, Blind Bartimaeus is there in the street. You guys know this story. Man blind, he hears that Jesus is coming. He begins to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And people are trying to shush him. Hey, be quiet. Don't stop. And the Bible says he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says that Jesus stopped. Okay? The big point I want to make about this quickly is one of the most expensive things you can do in your life is pay attention to the wrong people. And blind Bartimaeus wasn't having it. He cried out all the more. This was big to him. In Bartimaeus's case, it may have cost him his healing. And in verse 49, it says, and Jesus stopped. Because sometimes following Jesus requires stopping. Okay? Stay with me. It requires us to be unbusy. 
It requires us to rearrange the schedule, to do the important stuff. Part of taking up our cross and following Him is being intuitive to the needs around us, to the people around us, to the people who are going to be in the restaurants today and be on your job tomorrow or on on your Zoom call in, in the morning. We have to be intuitive to those things around us because following Jesus often means we stop. And I love this. I saw a correlation in this this week that I've never seen before. In verse 51, he says this, What do you want me to do for you? Now, does that sound familiar? Because he just said this to James and John. So in my mind, I think Jesus asked, What what do you want, want me to do for you? And he looks over at James and John. Do you want to sit on my left, Bartimaeus, or on my right? And out of his mouth comes something amazing. He says, teacher, I just want to see. And there it is. The best request ever given. And I thought this week, shouldn't that be our prayer too? Just let us see. Let us see as you see. Let us see the kingdom as you see it. Our coworkers, our family, strangers, people who we've never met. Let us see them as you see them. Because when I can see as you see, I'm less inclined to ask you for positions, and I'm more inclined to just love people when I see as you see. Listen, the courage door has one knob. And it's on your side. And it's going to take courage to follow Jesus. Some of you are on board and then off, and then on and then off, and then on and then off. And you're on when things are good, and you're off when things are bad. And it's because you you lose courage in the process. It takes a lot to follow Jesus. And I hope that we've drilled down in the series to the point where you go, I don't have to have this list as long as my arm of all the stuff I can't do. Just simplify. I just want to follow Him. It takes courage for you to pray a big, bold prayer. And some of you need them. Some of you have faced marriage problems. Some of you have faced cancer some of you have, have, have children that have, have given you, you don't even know how to parent them anymore. And so you've got to pray these big, bold prayers. It's going to take some courage to follow Jesus through the shadowy parts of your life. I loved it when David penned, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. It wasn't death, but it felt like it. You've got to trust Him right then. It takes courage to be a better version of yourself. To go, I don't have to have that. I don't have to want that. I don't have to want to be that. I don't have to be jealous of them. I don't have to covet what somebody else has. I can be content with where I am in the process of following Jesus and appreciate the favor and blessing He has on my life right now. Not in 10 years when I make more money. Not when I get a raise. Not when I empty nests. Not when I have a child. Not when my prayers get answered. But right now as I follow Christ, I'm going to be content. And that takes courage. All right. 
I want you to bow your heads with me really quick and